Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 35. While December football has been frightful for some of our teams, the analysis will be delightful for fans of all of the upper Midwest NFL teams, the Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. I'm Joe Smith, one of your hosts, and I am right here in Detroit, Michigan, where everyone and their brother has an opinion on how the wheels have fallen off the Lions so fast. Now let me introduce to you a much less dour co-host and friend, Chicago's own Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwest Landers and friends, and I hope you're ready for a super awkward uh, podcast this week between a Lions fan and a Bears fan, because I think we're going to have two very um, opposite moods, and we'll see if we can go through without trying to strangle each other or whatever through the uh, radio Um to date myself, I just called it a radio and a podcast <laughs> or whatever the boomer in me says. But if you like our show in whatever format you listen to us, radio, telegraph, telephone, <laughs> we do help. Please do help our podcast grow by giving us a five star review, commenting, recommending our show to your friends, carving us onto a cave wall like Brian thinks we do, or contacting <laughs> us via our email, MidwestFootballPodcast at gmail.com. In this week's episode, we will, of course, bring you all the Week 13 reactions you come for. We're going to talk about parting shots for a coaching legend. We're going to talk about more fatalities for MetLife. We're going to talk about a quarterback that we want to catapult into the sun. But before we do any of that, once more time, Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. But you know, we got to talk about the officiating being the story again for not being the story for a change. Brian, the uh, Chiefs have now lost four games in four plays, uh, twi- two of them by Kadarius Tony, one by Sky Moore, and one by Mar- MVS. But if you ask the Chiefs, including Matt Mahomes and Andy Reid, um, it wasn't. Uh, Kadarius Tony's fault. He lined off blatantly offsides. It was the ref's fault for calling uh, for calling the blatant flag and throwing the penalty, and doubling down by literally going to handshake uh, Josh Allen in the sportsman line and saying that call was BS or whatever the heck he said. It's like, dude, your guy was outside. And the funniest part about that play is. The right tackle was also lined up in an illegal formation. So Kadarius Tony was the fall boy for the loss, but he wasn't the only one that committed the play. And I'm going to have to blame Andy Reid on this one because they seem to be coasting on uh, lack of discipline now, which usually comes back to the coaching. And for those who, who missed it, they had a close game. Pat Mahomes hit Travis Kelsey on like a 40-some yard catch and run. Kelsey had this great rugby play where he, he saw a couple of defenders closing in on him. He pitched it out to uh, to Tony, who walked into the end zone for the game-winning touchdown, except the play never happened because Tony was lined off. So far offside, you could not see the football before it was snapped because it was being blocked by Tony because he was clearly on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with anything that you just said. To give you an idea of how rare offensive offsides is, lining up offsides offensively, this is the first offensive offsides call of Andy Reid's entire coaching career. This is like 30 years. Right. We're talking 20, 30,000 plays. One of them was called offsides. So it's not like this is called all the time. Uh, and then you're starting to hear, and in Mahomes' defense, he did apologize to uh, 
to Alan afterwards. That happened sometime, I think, either today or yesterday as we record this on uh, Wednesday the 13th. But look, the argument is not he wasn't offsides. The argument is effectively we looked at you and you didn't tell us you were going to call it and you didn't give us a warning before you called it. Which is kind of like the guy arguing that he shouldn't go to jail for stealing because it's only his first offense. So I see what you're saying. Like when I was and when I played in high school, when you're a receiver, if you're if you're the X receiver or a Y, those are the guys who line up on the line. The X is usually the split end, the Y is usually the tight end or whatever for those for, for football nerd talk. Um your job is to check with the side judge to make sure you are on the line of scrimmage, you know, because sometimes you get off kilter or whatever. And you usually you see him way put their hand out. Tony sort of did. A lot of people say he didn't. I saw a replay on uh, the PFF uh, Twitter feed or X feed where it did show he flashed his hand out at the ref. But I don't think he even looked for a response from the ref. So even if the ref told him he was offsides, I don't think he was paying attention. He just kind of ran out. You can't see good podcasting. I'm flashing my hand for the camera so Joe could see. But it didn't really <laughs> look like he even was responsive for the ref. So like I this play did happen, something similar. I think it might have been in college last year or maybe um, pro where they did that, where literally the receiver did clearly – asked the side judge if he was on side the guy the guy nodded his head and then threw the flag and that was the most egregious thing and that's what the chiefs are saying happened i don't think it was that bad in my opinion watching the replay i don't know if you got a chance to see the the slow-mo replays of tony lining up but he did throw his hand up, but I don't think he i think he flipped his head the other way so even if the ref told him to back up he wasn't looking yeah i mean the bottom line is it's another embarrassing way to lose yeah it's just even if you think that the call is garbage then you can't go out and saying man that call is and so on because your fans will pick it up and you are and essentially you start enabling the crazies you're talking about mahomes yeah but you can't handle this the way Reed and Mahomes handled it. And I agree with that because, first of all, they've benefited from calls in their favor. So it's not like this doesn't happen both ways and stuff. And it also was – he was offsides. Um, and to me, that was a weird part turn about this is because – it's I wouldn't call it a dynasty, but they did win two Super Bowls in Mahomes era, and they've been pretty good, right? While these two guys have been matched up together as quarterback and coach. And as far as dynasties or pseudo dynasties, whatever you want to call it, runs of very, very good play with championships. The Chiefs have been one of the more universally likable teams that have done this. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I this think- is the first time that we've really seen Patrick Mahomes do something that makes the average fan go, oh, jeez. And I, I mean, think... plenty of time for his family and hangers on. Oh, yeah, but... his family, yeah, his brother but and him... wife. But he's been very likable, Andy Reid, throughout the decades of his career. And um, this is the first week I've seen just the general fans starting to kind of turn on him because it's it, – and, and then you also throw in – 
you're starting to see time person of the year backlash of uh, too much publicity from Taylor Swift there. The honeymoon period's over. Not between Taylor and Travis, Kelsey, but I just think that it was one of those predictions mm-hmm. where you get a lot of fans who, you know, it's good for the NFL. A lot of people who don't normally watch football are tuning in to watch Taylor Swift games. I mean, Chiefs games, but most of the main fans are starting to get annoyed by turning on ESPN, wanting to see highlights. And they're just hearing about showing pictures of uh, Taylor Swift in the, uh, in the booth, you know? So I think those two things, and then you're starting to hear the backlash of, Hey, how about you stop worldwide traveling and uh, uh, for Mr. Kelsey and uh, filming all these commercials and focus on winning football games. You know, yeah, and I've heard that too. The sad part is they're eight and four. They're four games plays away from 12 and oh, and they have been kind of rocky on offense and they are still that close to perfection this year. They are still a very good team, but they are a disappointing, very good team, which is kind of funny to say. Yeah. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. They're probably going to be a pretty tough out in the postseason when Especially they get that there. Defense. The defense, is that defense exactly. But speaking of tough outs, what do you think about the report coming from NBC Sports Boston's Tom Curran? Bill Belichick already decided to that he's out at the end of the year in New England. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because there were rumors about this uh, earlier in the year when they had that embarrassing loss in Germany. I believe it was to our Colts. And um, there was rumors, unsubstantiated rumors, that the the Patriots and Belichick had mutually agreed to part ways after the season ended, which is always weird that they would just agree to have a lame duck coach for the rest of the year. Um, do you think there's uh, some fire to this fired uh, story? I absolutely think there is. Um, and I think, and I think it had a lot to do with the timing of the loss in Germany, which is a game that Kraft has spent, literally the better part of a decade trying to get the Patriots to play a game in Germany. And it finally happened and they lose to the Colts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know how long Kraft has been owner of the team. I think it's been since like 2001, 2002, right about the start of the Brady era. I think it was before Belichick. So, yeah. So, and I don't think he's ever had a season like this. Look, the Patriots were the first AFC team eliminated from the playoffs. Yeah, that was after beating the Steelers this week. We could talk more yeah, about that later. They were but... more on that later, but yeah, this is the it's... the Patriots aren't just bad; they're the worst team in the AFC. It's yeah, if, and they're lucky the Panthers exist because <laughs> they get all the press. Plus, but press, but the Patriots have kind of flown under the radar for being terrible. Um. I mean, we saw stories like they—they're the first team since the '30s to hold their opponents to ten or under in three straight weeks and not win a single one of those games. That was before they beat the 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 Steelers. Yeah, I don't know how that's even possible in modern it's, NFL, it's but it's not ludicrous. Involving, not involving Iowa, um, and to <laughs> me, like... yes, Iowa or Booty Iowa. Exactly. But what's interesting to me about Belichick is I still think he's a good coach. I think he's been making a lot of bad GM like decisions. Obviously, we've seen a lot of poor drafts. He can't get a receiver and stuff. But I'm going to focus on his cronyism when it comes to hiring assistants. We see him bring back these washed up guys that aren't good 
year after year. We saw Matt Patricia come back last year. We saw Joe Judge after their failures as head coaches. We see his sons. We see Belichick names all over the you know assistant coaches. Uh, Bill O'Brien, who was a former assistant, is back as the offensive co- coordinator. But he was their offensive coordinator like 15, 20 years ago. And apparently he's running the same offense. And somehow the offense has been worse under O'Brien this year than it was last year under a defensive coordinator slash special teams coach, Matt Patricia, who was somehow running the offense last year, which I can believe you could be worse than a Matt Patricia coach team, but here we are. So I don't know what's going on with his assistant hiring. I mean, he can still coach the defense. The defense is still good this year. I mean, you can't lose three games holding teams to 10 or under without good defense because you're holding them to 10 points per game or less. It's unbelievable. Yeah. These are stats that you know, you, you can almost hear the, the Greenberg. I'm not sure how this is possible, but yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm not surprised at all if this is completely true, because on one hand, you've got plenty to rip on a Bill Belichick for with the way this team has gone, especially on offense. They don't have a quarterback. They're desperate for one. But at the same time, this is also an owner that's never had to deal with losing. Mm-hmm. And what's also interesting about too, is that the year after Brady left, he won the Super Bowl, which gets rougher. The more they games, they lose because remember the, that, that year they got Mac Jones fell to them and they made the playoffs. Remember that it's, it feels so long ago. Cause they have then spent the next two years changing the offensive coordinators around Mac Jones and somehow ruining him. People forget he was in that vaunted rookie class. He was their best quarterback as a rookie amongst Fields and Trevor Lawrence. He's going to be out of the league next year, possibly with the way he's playing. They've already benched him for Bailey Zappi. More on that later. So, yeah, I mean, I'm curious to speculate where Belichick ends up. I think him ending up the Chargers coach next year sounds kind of interesting, to be honest. Um, But you got anything more on that? Now let's uh, switch over to some um, gory details from MetLife, and I'm not talking about the uh, the uh, you know the Cutlet Mania that we'll get to later. We're talking about some of the injuries that hit during the Jets and Texans game, because oh geez, I don't know what game. the deal is with the MetLife turf. What is it like painted concrete or something? But you, it seems like every week there's a major injury or two on that field. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about Achilles blowouts earlier this year that you mentioned people were trying to get rid of the turf. And I was like, what's the problem? This isn't AstroTurf from the 80s anymore. This is pretty nice stuff. Apparently not in New York. This $2 billion stadium is just an injury waited to happen for players now. this is It's bad enough to play – the Jets or the Giants, which are ugly games because if they have decent defenses and ugly offenses and they're going to drag you down to their level, but you're risking getting players injured. Do you remember how many players were injured? I know CJ Stroud got concussed. I think they lost a couple. Well, I think Nico Collins, I think, got his got leg. Injured. Yeah, I think he's questionable. I don't know how long it is, but he left the game. Uh, yeah, there were some more injuries, but it was it was pretty brutal. So... Yeah, we're we will continue to follow this story. 
because at this point, if you survey NFL players on what the worst turf is, at least a solid third are saying MetLife. Yeah, I believe that. Probably growing. Um, and an unrelated, not victim to MetLife, but uh, Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert has had season-ending surgery on his throwing thumb, I believe it was. Index finger. Index finger. Okay. Index finger on his throwing hand. They they ruled him out pretty quickly for this week, and then they say, well, we'll see what happens when we go in there for the surgery, and they went in there for the surgery, and like 30 seconds into the surgery, the word comes in that he's out for the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the greatest preseason quarterback of all time, Easton Stick, that is a real name, not just the name of a hockey stick, um, is now going to see how he can play in the regular season. Yeah, Easton Stick sounds like he should be doing something that is not as family-friendly as this podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, so RIP to the Chargers season as they uh, play the Raiders tomorrow night as we film it on Thursday night. That could be another Thursday night game to follow to to not watch unless you have have fantasy football players going, which I feel really bad for you if you have uh you're relying on Chargers and Raiders right now in the playoffs. That could be rough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in in good news state. for Chargers fans, this might be the bottom falling off enough to actually get rid of their coach. And this is a potential Bill Belichick location. Um that'll be interesting if he gets a falls back into a coach or a quarterback and uh gives Justin Herbert an actual defense that could actually be a pretty good pairing. Possibly two stories, depending upon whether or not they have a lot. Bill Belichick is, can still coach or if he's just interested in, you know, being grumpy and doing things his way. We'll see. I mean, if he came in and just defensive coordinated the talent they have there, they'd be the number one defense based on what I've seen this year alone with and Joey Bosa and stuff. So, but either way, shall we get on to um, the Midwest, what the Midwest Landers came for? The exactly. recap of week 14. If you want to get in on the conversation, email us at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. But we are going to start our reactions to week 14, the meat of our podcast, starting with a surprising Thursday game that we've already alluded to the Patriots at the Steelers and. Steelers fans have pretty much officially turned on Mike Tomlin, haven't they? Well, that's what happens when you uh, fire your scapegoat, and three weeks later you've lost to two of the three worst teams in the NFL. Which, by the way, Bears, thank you very much. Um, The last two losses by the Steelers were to the Cardinals and the Patriots, who are currently sitting on number two and three in the draft order which basically gives the Panthers a two-game lead on that. More on that when we get to the Bears. Um, <laughs> actually, no. Yeah. We'll just finish it now. It's, yeah, for and, the record, um, I think the the Bears are sitting at what? First overall in their pick from the Panthers. Panthers. Who are, who are one uh, win. Like, what? Fifth overall with their own pick and, and a game out of, of the, the wild, wild card. card. Yep, that's a weird spot to be in. Um, yeah, so jealous. the Bears go either way. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I'm just going to say, too, like, I love it because the Bears are incentivized to win. We'll double back in a second, Steelers fans. But uh, the Panthers are one win with four games left. They are they need to have two wins to even tie Arizona and Pittsburgh and three wins to tie the Washington Commanders. So it is pretty much locked. The Bears will have a top four pick, likely top three pick, likely top one pick next year. Thanks to the Cardinals or the Panthers, I should say. And thanks to the Steelers losing streak. So back to the Steelers. 
This was an embarrassing loss. And we talked about this. If you guys go back and listen to last week's one more thing, I almost called this game exactly uh, other than just no pick sixes by Prubisky, but he, he came close. Like, I think my one more thing was, I don't think, I, I think Belichick defense will trick Trubisky into some interceptions, possibly pick sixes that will set up the game winning. And it was 21 to three at halftime. And the Patriots just had short fields to punch, touch, uh, punch the ball in the end zone. So it and was. Can I say, by the way, that I think this proves that Kenny Pickett is worth something because without him, they, the Steelers just lost to two of the three worst teams in football. That is a great point. I mean, just saying he, was, he he's one of those guys. He doesn't put up great stats when you look at him, but he comes through. I mean, we were talking about we talked about Pickett earlier this year where he has like less touchdown passes than in his career than CJ Stroud does this year. But he has a lot of game winning touchdown or game winning yeah, drives this year. Kenny Pickett has one more passing touchdown than Joe Flacco. <laughs> Joe Flacco, who was out of the league until Two and a half weeks ago when he started? Two. Two. I mean, um, wow. Just say, yeah, that sounds like a made-up stat, but it's it's mm-hmm. not. Um, that but being he's also said, winning a lot of games. They, yeah. The Steelers are a, t- are a team with fantastic defense, and uh, Pickett can make clutch throws and avoids the big mistake. And Trubisky makes a lot of mistakes, and we saw that in the first half, and it puts Pittsburgh in a big hole. Now, to Trubisky's credit, I think he did settle down a little bit in the second half, but it was too late. I mean, they basically just had a garbage-time touchdown. Yeah, to when Dante the pressure Johnson. was off. Yeah, exactly. So, a golf special. Yeah, there you go. It's a shame to me, too, because I've now seen enough with Trubisky as a backup quarterback that I don't think he's salvageable. I, I thought he had the talent and maybe he was a little bit slower to pick up on reading defenses that it would just take him longer to be an adequate backup. But I don't think he's there. I mean, you're already seeing the Mason Rudolph, the red nose uh, smash face quarterback go back to when he got his head crushed in by miles Garrett, um, <laughs> uh, you know, people wanting him and, they won a lot of games with Mason Rudolph. I mean, I'm actually kind of at the point too where I'm like, I think I've seen more success out of Rudolph than and I've seen out of Trubisky. Save a buck or two. Exactly. You can pay Rudolph's a lot cheaper than uh, Trubisky's backup contract. And let's for be some honest, reason, Trubisky had a good run in 2018 when everything was perfect for him on the Bears, and it was defensive-driven, good weapons on offense. And since 2019, Trubisky just hasn't been good. That's it. We know it. I know he was the number two overall pick, but you can move on. Mason Rudolph has been a better backup quarterback the last four years, and I think the Pittsburgh should make the change, to be honest, as long as uh, Pickett's out, because they are currently a playoff team, despite the losses to the two, two of the three worst. Teams. Right. Even though you got the fans that want Tomlin out of here, and you're starting to come up with some wild stats that are like, that make you go, huh? Like, really? How. For example, um, Mike Tomlin has been the coach of the Steelers for what, 17 years? God, has it been that long? 12, 17, something like that? Yeah. Do you know how many of those seasons the Steelers have won a playoff game? At least one? Oh, at least two because they won Super Bowl twice. No, I mean, three. how many seasons have they won at least one playoff game? That's what I'm saying, at least three because they've been to the playoffs. They're Super Bowl three times, so I don't know, maybe five? Six, four. Okay, four. Oh, this is a, like 
Eli Manning territory where and he the has mo- yeah, and the most wins. recent is like 2016. Wow, because that's an interesting because I know we talk about he's never had a losing record in the regular season, but this is starting to feel like uh the Eli Manning thing where he won two Super Bowls, but he won eight playoff games in his 15-ish year career because all eight of his playoff games were in those two Super Bowl runs where he just got hot. Um, and that's an interesting thing about the playoffs because he's had a lot of good teams with Le'Veon Bell and Brown and Roethlisberger towards the end of his career. And yeah, all kinds of stars on both sides of the ball. I think it's a little premature to talk about fire him. This guy's a really good coach. There's a reason why they win. There might be more to do with, uh, they might need to look at their drafting because we talk about them picking up gems at receivers, but like, we, but we've also Claypool's, discussed how clearly they don't have a line on their evaluation form for they crazy. Haven't, they haven't tried to uh, – it's driven me crazy as a dynasty owner of Najee Harris. They have not tried to improve their offensive line in four years. I don't understand how you don't prioritize keeping your quarterback healthy like or creating running lanes for your running backs. But they have kind of tried a little bit this year, and it's a little better. It is, but it's it is not good enough. It is their best in like four years, but it it doesn't help, you know. And let's be honest, the Kenny Pickett trade or draft pick, they didn't trade up for him. They got him in the first round, but that was still a reach, even if he's a decent quarterback. You know, like it's a it's a weird opportunity cost. And then even drafting Najee Harris in the first round, he's fine, but he's not even the best running back on their team. Imagine what they could have done if they put two linemen in that spot and then got a little bit cheaper at one of those, you know? So, yeah, we kind of ran this through with the um, Jalen Carter versus Gibbs last week. That might've been off offline, but you know, um, this is where the opportunity cost comes in and overpaying for average talent is not what the first round is all about. Yeah. Which I get that they were probably desperate for quarterback, but their hope at this point with Kenny Pickett, we're hoping for a guy that can game manage. Mm, that's not what you want out of a first rounder. And I'm not trying to throw shade. We talked about you. You mentioned this earlier. Kenny Pickett has clearly shown value since he's been gone. How much yeah. the drop off was, you know, he doesn't have the great stats, but he. How can went. we? How can we miss you unless you go away? Exactly. Speaking of some questionable draft decisions. Let's get on to the Lions who went into Chicago and they didn't just lose. The Bears punked the Lions. This was complete slaughter almost from the very beginning. You were, as a Lions fan, you're sitting there and the only thing that's keeping you watching the game after about a quarter and a half is just smoking the hopium. (laughs) This is not, this was an awful scene where the Lions got beat in virtually every phase of the game. I'm going to let you rant and I'm going to apologize. I should probably turn off my camera because I cannot stop smiling. So I apologize, Joe. Oh, um, no, I don't blame you. Listeners, uh, it has been a long time since the Bears have had a defining win that was over a winning team that was this definitive in all aspects of the game. And to be honest, even in the fourth quarter, all my barrication buddies were texting like, I don't trust it. We're still going to blow it. And I'm like, come on, what are you talking about? The Bears are looking great. And then I start thinking like, wait a minute. We're up by two touchdowns. We were up by two touchdowns against Detroit two weeks ago with three minutes to play and lost the game. 
unfortunately, there was only, for Detroit fans at least, there was only one rabbit in that hat. Yeah. The Lions, un- unfortunately, had been playing with fire three of the last four weeks. Mm-hmm. And in two of them, and in two of those three, they got burned. This was the second one of them. Because what the Bears did, and on the Bears side, this is a fantastic win. Mm-hmm. It put the Justin Fields as the number one quarterback is beyond doubt for anybody who's even remotely paying attention. Mm-hmm. Like you at this point, you are crazy if you trade Justin Fields. By the way, I still see headlines in Chicago of who should be the Bears quarterback and head coach next year. And that is driving me crazy. This is not this should not be a day where the Bears fan is ranting, but you can't throw hold last year's season against Eberflus. And all we can say is now, hey, they start 0-4. They've won five out of the last nine games. They're in the playoff hunt. They've clearly turned it around. And I don't like it when people hold the tanking season against them any more than I like it when people hold up a team, a new quarterback, or sorry, when a coach wins coach of the year, his first year, when he took over a good team and then systematically gets worse every year. And then people go, well, Dave wants that was good his first year. And it's like, he was taking over Ditka and then Jimmy Johnson. And then look what he did the next year. But as far as the actual game goes, um, as a Bears fan, I love this game because I was I felt like I was going insane supporting the Bears the last couple months because I kept seeing flashes that the Bears have talent, but they couldn't put it together. And we really saw that in the first Lions game where the Bears dominated that game until three minutes to go, and they proved they were a young team that did not know how to finish games. This is exactly what we were talking about, the Lions, before we started this podcast last year. What we've been saying all year about the Bears, they are one year behind the Lions. Almost to the game, if you think about it, because they had the last year they were awful. This year they had the awful. This year they had the horrific start. They got an important piece in reshuffled some things, got some people healthy, and all of a sudden they're fi- they're figuring out how to win games, which you have to do as a young team. It's exactly what the Lions did at the end of last year, and they rode that to a very nice first two months of the season. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out that I sent this to you and Tony that uh, we're literally this time last week Last year, the Lions started one and six in their first seven games and then went on a five and one streak and were six and seven at this point. The Bears are one game behind that. <laughs> and the Bears, if you if they finished the playing what if should have, but if the Bears had finished the first Lions game, they would be on a four game winning streak and they would be have won four, you know, so three out of four games where they outplayed their opponents is pretty good. And it's something Tony actually pointed out to me. It's something I said, what I wanted to see when Fields came back out of um, off of his injury was that he was watching Taysom Bajan play and realized using his legs or checking the ball down is better than taking a sack. You don't need to make the big play every time. And I've seen a much more restrained version of fields this last month where you you saw it in full display where he he t- he took a ball he took he takes off running he doesn't take the hits i don't know if you notice he slides a lot even yes, for I like did. a one yard gain because he's not taking the big hit 
And then he picks his spots like that big touchdown pass to DJ Moore really lit the bears up on fourth and 13. And then he used his legs to score the other touchdown, you know, and then meanwhile, on the flip side, I'm going to go back to letting you rant between those two touchdowns. When the bears went on a 14 and 0 run that really iced the game late, the lions had what one play in the middle where Jared Goff literally lost a fumble. Like he was Rex Grossman in the super bowl. I'm sorry, lost a snap, fumbled a snap. I cannot believe golf, a veteran quarterback, lost a fumbled snap. That was brutal. Like, what was your take? Because it it just felt like golf's unraveling last month. I know you've been complaining about that, but you're kind of seeing that when his linemen are getting dinged up. Yeah, I went off on offline uh, when this game was going on. Uh, because to me, the evidence is absolutely overwhelming against Goff. It, we're at the point of how much more evidence do you need? Because, you know, you're starting to get some of the local reports that the fumbled snap was uh, ever so slight double clutch on the snap by the backup center, which, okay, That's maybe fair. that contributes. That makes sense. That actually explains a lot, but still. Well, the backup center is... A, a long-term veteran mm-hmm. and former starter. Okay. So it's not as much, it's not like it's they fair. drag this guy it's in. It's not like it's a rookie street. making his first start or something. Okay. No, but this is, we got to blame pie. You got to give a huge chunk to golf. I, look, he's had in the, the three, four or five games that the lions have played where not counting the, the saints game mm-hmm. that they won. Goff has been multi-turnovers every single game. Two, often three. It's been brutal. At what point do you have to say, you know what? If what the Lions have in terms of offensive weapons and offensive, if this is not enough offensive line for Goff, how much offensive line does he need? Especially when the Niners find a homeless guy and surround him with pro bowlers and all of a sudden he's an MVP candidate. I'm looking at this and going, look, if we don't, and by we, I mean the Lions. I am a Lions fan, I admit it. Mm -hmm. If the Lions do not win a playoff game at Ford Field this year, I want absolutely nothing to do with Jared Goff next year. Get him out of here. I think that's fair because we talked about this last week when you lost three interior linemen to injuries, and they were all top 10 at their position. So if you're a veteran quarterback and you need to have multiple all pros on the line. We're talking four at least yeah. at the top one offensive the line, one defensive line was what it was. It was two to offensive line. Was it? It was his guard in the center. I think one of the guys came back. Okay. Well, one of them yeah. came back. So, but yeah, but two offensive linemen, it was a uh, Ragnow Glasgow and uh, we're both injured. I don't know if they played or not. And then you also have Penny Sewell, who's the number one, tackle overall and then taylor decker is really good so basically if you have an offensive line with four elite offensive linemen that's when golf is good if apparently if only three of them are there he's falls apart and turns the turns into a turnover machine and he's got good pass catchers with you know and great running backs and a great tight end like he has you're not gonna it's, it's gonna be hard to get a better 
uh, situation than he has right now. So I agree with you. I, I think it'd be tough to pay him in that 40 to $50 million a year salary that he's going to command coming off of what he's done the first half of this season. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Tony, I, th- I think it was Tony point or maybe you, this is a bad week, time for him to be fumbling around because I think Hendon Hooker just became eligible to start practicing the rookie. Yeah, about a, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, he, uh, they uh, took him off the injury list. If, uh, well, more on that and the one more thing, but if golf keeps playing like this, the backup quarterback will start becoming the most popular guy in Detroit. Yep. There are other pieces to this blame pie. The Lions do not have a number two cornerback and they do not have a secondary pass rusher. The loss of Aleem McNeil when he went down to the Saints Huge. has been brutal because there's nothing stopping teams from triple teaming Aiden Hutchinson on every play and then running away from it. He's still getting pressures. He's still getting knockdowns, but he's not getting sacks. I want to point that out. Hutchinson had this epic run, like a Greek uh, soldier, like in whatever the Iliad where he single-handedly stopped three plays to end two drives in a row by Chicago and that's when Detroit went from down 10 to nothing to up 13 to three to up to up to 13 to 10 in the first half. And the bears adjusted their blocking scheme and what they did, they just got away from Hutchinson the rest of the game and made him ineffective and nobody else stepped up. And the bears basically controlled the game from that point on. But at that point, Hutch- Hutchinson was making big plays until they took him out because there's no secondary pass rusher. The other half of that is the lions also don't have a number two corner. The Lions have been playing Jerry Jacobs at number two corner for much of the year when all of the secondary guys that they brought in at high paychecks were hurt in the first three weeks for the year. Remember that? Mm -hmm. So they've been playing Jerry Jacobs, who everybody admits is not an NFL starter. And the offenses that have been able to pick on him were are the ones that have made the Lions defense look like Swiss cheese. The touchdown pass to see to Moore was right over Jerry Jacobs, who just flat could not run with him. Mm, and I have yeah. no idea why. By the way, I have no idea why the Lions are blitzing on fourth and thirteen <laughs> and putting Jerry Jacobs in single coverage against Moore. Well, even what if, the heck is that called? Even if they covered it, that's the easiest way to turn Justin Fields loose on a scramble because there's nobody watching the quarterback when you go man to man, and they all turn their backs on him. So, exactly. yeah, that was a terrible play call. And um, that gets us to the part of the blame pie that not too many people around here are talking about, and that's the coaching. Mm-hmm. Because you look at these penalties against the Bears. What, there were like eight, nine? It was a lot of penalties. Ex- it was, lines, yeah. I think there was at least eight accepted penalties against the Bears. Mm-hmm. Just the accepted ones. Mm-hmm. You have... A co- you, and you've got an NFL team that basically has not gotten better since the Baltimore game. They are f- still fundamentally trying to do all of the exact same things that they've been trying to do since the end of last year, except now they're all on tape. So now they're going to have, and if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Mm-hmm. Well, before we move on, I'm going to take time to say RIP to Yannick and Dockway's season. Um, it came out today that uh, he just he broke his lay, uh, ankle in that game, and he has been put on season-ending IR. Um, he was a late addition in the offseason to be the Bears' primary pass rusher, but he didn't really pan out. He was actually 
the second worst 108th out of 109 defensive ends graded by PFF with a sub 40 grade. So I like the guy. I think he'll rebound next year and have a better year. It's going to be hard to be worse, but in this moment, it might be addition by subtraction moving forward. So this is his worst career season of his career, which has been a very good career overall. So I hope you heal up better and you have a better next season next year. I think he's on a one year prove it deal, which is kind of rough, but, um, We'll see. That's still a position that the Bears need to address in the offseason, possibly with the number one or the number five overall pick. So, yeah, the, the unlike the Lions, the Bears will have a draft pick that will allow them to fill a need on the off on the defensive line. Exactly. But so. let's move to our other double dip game uh, in the at the one o'clock time slot. And that was the Colts at the Bengals. The Colts came in, you know, riding high on a little bit of a streak. And that was put down quickly just a balanced <laughs> offensive attack by the Bengals have buried the Colts in last week's game I gotta say of our, uh, our one more things that we started tracking this was the game I got wrong by far the most you got this one right um this was what 34 14 it was an annihilation I mean I think there was a pick six that kept it close ish early on where the Colts had a defensive score but Oh yeah, Bengals yeah, that defense. game. I Ooh. yeah, I saw that play. That was not a pick six so much as it was a shakedown. Like that was one of those where the receiver was kind of coming, and the defensive back comes in, grabs the ball out of his arms, and just runs the other way. Larceny. <laughs> yes, it was not. Yes, it was, it was not a pick off. It was larceny. Yeah, and. That is crazy because that means that, I mean, the Bear, Bengals defensive line or B, so we'll talk about the offense first because they buried the Colts, especially with Jake Browning's looking like one of the best, you know, 10 quarterbacks in the league right now that they, they might have struck gold, you know, uh, they've been that he's rejuvenated their season winning the last two games. This one emphatically, I got to give props to the Bengals defense, which throttled the Colts. I thought this was going to be a close game in a shootout. Um, ish with between two backup quarterbacks. And I, I picked a veteran Gardner, Florida man Minshew, but it wasn't even close. Um, Did you see, what did you see? I mean, was it the credit to the Bengals offensive line, their defense? What was your take on that? I really was, came away impressed with the offensive line because the Colts have caused a lot of havoc with their pass rush over the last couple of weeks. I think they've had, three week, three straight or three of the last four weeks, something like that for the last five where they've had like three, four, five sacks, mm-hmm. none this week, zero and absolutely nothing in the run game, even on a per carry basis. Zach Moss was 13 of 28 for 28 yards. Another bad game in relief. Of Pittman 15. did fine. He had eight catches on 11 targets, 95 yards, but it was empty. Yeah, but that was the another thing that was amazing about the Jake Browning thing, though, was he came in for eighteen twenty four, two touchdowns, one pick. But this was not a big Jamar Chase game, like you would expect the star receiver to come pick up some of the load. Like no, Jamar week. Chase had three for twenty nine, and he was amazing last week. He was leaned on heavily, but yeah. So you know, give the Colts some credit for focusing on him. But they let Jay, they let Chase Brown get loose. Mm-hmm. And what's if crazy to me? What too, is this? It's... One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys caught passes for the Bengals, and nobody in caught eighteen more than... completions. 
nobody caught more than three passes. And what's incredible is it's not like he was just checking the ball down to tight ends and running backs. He averaged 11.5 yards per attempt, which is elite. <laughs> I mean, over nine is good. So that this is impressive. And uh, he is the, the Phoenix that is the Bengals season, which has died twice now. <laughs> once to start and then once when Burrow went down, like they just keep coming. Yeah, you got to give credit where credit is due here. Um, they did a good job establishing the rushing game also. The Bengals did. Joe Mixon got his 21 carries for 79 yards and a score. And the Bengals are very, very difficult to beat when Joe Mixon gets volume. Yep. And also if, and also explosiveness. He had a 45-yard catch. <laughs> And True, Higgins yeah. had a 46 yard catch, and Jay's Brown had a 54 yard catch. <laughs> you sound so like Oprah right plays. now. <laughs> you get a big play. You get a big play. You get a big play. That's uh, Jake Browning, aka the new Oprah. <laughs> <Cincinnati> <laughs> gets Oprah. A, everybody gets a prize. Everyone gets a 45 yard catch. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you look at Gardner Minshew, the if you don't think about the numbers too hard, it doesn't look so bad. 26 completions, 39 attempts, 240 yards, a touchdown, a pick, until you realize that that is less than 10 yards per completion. So the Bengals were doing a fantastic job of keeping everything in front of them. 6.2 yards per attempt, which is almost half, which is like roughly half of what Browning was doing per pass. So yeah, it's a pretty rough game. Yeah. Look, I mean, we know that Gardner Minshew can come in and play in short bursts. But I think we've also seen enough to know that Gardner Minshew is not a starting quarterback on a good team. Yeah, he's been very good as a backup this year, and he's gotten him in the playoff race. But he has definitely shown his shortcomings. Yeah. Word on the street, by the way, as we uh, get ready to move on to our next game, is that the Colts are trying to get Jonathan Taylor ready for this year, that he might come back. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it depends on if they're still in the playoff race, of course. They're still right there right now, but it's very close. We can talk about that more later. Speaking of teams on the ver- uh, in the playoff race, the Browns pulled off a seesaw battle win um, at home against the Jaguars, the division-leading Jaguars. And the, I believe the uh, Browns are still in the number one uh, wildcard spot. I think yeah, if this was... today, we'd have three NFC Nor- AFC North teams in the playoffs. Sorry. This was a masterpiece of awful football. If that's if such a thing is possible, this game was so ugly. It was a tough watch unless you're a fan of the Browns and are watching them come out ahead in a game that was close the entire way. I'm going to take another victory lap for my one more thing. Mine was uh can Flacco uh, push the ball down the field and two of his uh, touchdown passes, the one, the first one to Njoku and the David Bell to ice the game. Did you see any defender around those guys on those yeah. highlights? This is clearly the Jaguars were going, hey, Flacco, you can't push the ball down the field. We're going to dare you to do it. And he did. <laughs> and the defense completely broke down. It looked like we had an episode of, can he be any more wide open? Because you've got the ball going down the field and there is nobody else in the camera frame as he's walking backwards into the end zone. What more yeah. can you say? 
I don't even know how you evaluate the defense on those plays because I didn't even see the defenders. <laughs> you know, not so, on the TV coverage. That's how you evaluate them. Yeah, exactly. You need to pay extra money for the all twenty twos or whatever they call it. You know, and <laughs> like it's it's incredible, like how badly the defensive was breaking down. I can only guess they were just over committing to stopping the run and the short passes, and Flacco made him pay. Um, we can talk more on. I have some more theories on the for the one more thing when we get to the Browns next week because of who they're playing. But the craziest part too with the David Bell touchdown, his big reason he dropped in this draft was his awful forty time. So to him, to him, have a forty-one yard catch and run where nobody was around him when he caught the ball three yards down the field. That is incredible because he is one of the slowest wide receivers in the game. <laughs> Fair. So, yeah. but yeah. So, where is he uh, from, Maryland? Because then he'd be a slow turtle. That makes <laughs> sense. Big Ten alum, Boilermaker. But yeah, he should have. He should have played for the Terps with that speed. So yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, and Joku had his monster breakout game: six catches for ninety-one yards and two touchdowns. The running game was meh. Poor, more evidence that the they were trying to stop. The, uh, the Jags were trying to stop the running game. Yeah, the running game for the Browns was more about volume than efficiency, which yeah, you're okay fine. with when you win. Mm-hmm. It was fine. Um, Cooper was back. He had 14 targets. He's he's the bell to ball. So I apologize to anybody who said Eli- Elijah Moore might be Flacco's big uh, favorite target because he had six targets to Cooper's 14 and Njoku's eight. So maybe it was just a game you know, script, but, you know, Maybe maybe more we'll have another big game next week. We don't know, but Evan like... Ingram was really the only offensive star for um for the Jaguars with eleven catches, ninety-five yards and two touch ninety-five reception yards yeah. and two touchdowns. ETN's... Travis Etienne got stonewalled by the Browns defense. Continues to be inefficient, but he made up for it by scoring a touchdown and catching four passes for 37 yards, which if you remember the big knock on him in preseason for fantasy was he doesn't go score touchdowns or catch passes, but uh, he did both of those today, which made up for his 20, 35 yards on two and a half yards per carry. But that is also a really good defensive front that he was going yeah. up against. Yeah. The Browns as and, you know, I'm not talking about raw talent necessarily. I'm talking about, effectiveness on the field the browns might have the best defensive line in football and they were right to attack because you know trevor lawrence it was shocking he even played with his lower leg injury last week and the browns harassed him very well get, uh, culminating with three interceptions and four sacks so very opportunist defense and uh despite giving up you know 27 points but um you know browns are still in the playoffs but despite you know uh, four-string quarterback who's now been named the t- starter the rest of the way. And the Colts say thank you very much for the loss by Jacksonville. Yep, they're right in it. Let's switch to the uh, afternoon games, the later games, with, if you want to call this a game, I think it was a you know a scientific test to cure insomnia, and that was the Vikings at the Raiders. The Vikings won, everybody watching lost. Slow down. It depends. If you're European and you're a big fan of uh, football or soccer, um, you would love this game. It was a three to nothing game where a late field goal won the Vikings the game. I mean, it was so ugly. I had it on, or at least they were kept showing it on red zone or something. And 
It was on a secondary. <laughs> this game it was, is the opposite of red zone. Why it was, are they showing this on red zone? You know what? It must. There's only three games on. I think that's why. And I think it might have been on uh, my secondary TV or something like that. The small one, but I saw way too much of it, and I got to the point where I became morbidly fascinated by it because I was just rooting for a zero-zero tie to make it all the way through overtime because I just felt like that was the only way that game should have gone because it was so bad. I, I I actually am kind of shocked they got a field goal. And as a Lions fan, you got to be frustrated. I know Tony sent me some texts about it because the Vikings gave me, gained a game on Detroit with that ugly win. <laughs> and they're seven and six. They're seven and six. They won. You know, it's a win's a win. But oh my god, we will we will talk about that later. But we'll um, torture. Good grief! Yeah, the this game was. Nothing, nothing in overtime, and the Vikings, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, won this game with a 3 nothing walk-off field goal, which I think is the first 3 nothing overtime winner since, what was that, the snowplow it was game? regulation. Was it? Yeah, it was in the fourth quarter, two minutes to go. Okay, well, close enough. Close enough, yeah. It was close enough that I was hoping for a 0-0 tie in over, right. after through, overtime. I mean, we like I said, I don't think we've seen one like that since what the snowplow game. It was the snowplow game. I think they were showing highlights of that. I had the sound off, but yeah, yeah, where the, yeah, the one where the 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 guy with the snowplow like Mario carted onto the field to clear the spot for controversial. Um, yeah, because you're not supposed to do that. But you know, since when does that stop New England? It's true. That's true. Can't, you ain't cheating. You ain't trying. Uh, but onto the uh, the big news, other than the ugly, ugly win, uh, the pastronaut might have had an end to his uh, run because he didn't throw an interception, didn't throw, but didn't throw a touchdown. But he did take five sacks and an ugly performance. He got benched halfway through for Nick Mullins, who's been named the starter for next week uh, on Saturday. More on that later. And then the other one was uh, Alexander Madison, much maligned on this podcast, actually had a great game averaging 6.6 yards per carry on 10 attempts, but he's out. He left the game injured, and I believe he is out um, for the foreseeable future. He uh, ankle injury, and he has not practiced all week. Yeah, yeah. I know the severity Um, of it, but it looks like it's Ty Chandler. So it looks like Ty Chandler, yeah, is going to actually get his first chance to to legitimately carry the load. And he was not efficient when he came in last week. I don't know if that's on him or not. It might have just been the Raiders just going after the quarterback. Uh, Maybe. Dominating the front line. I mean, but it was an ugly game, but um, it's Nick Mullins time and it is Ty Chandler time. So we'll talk more about that later. The Like, uh, like all great cosmonauts that crashed and burned, he will be buried in the Kremlin Wall. The highest honor. That's right. As of right now, <laughs> the Vikings are uh seven and six and they are currently in the second wild card spot now get this it gets better it gets better they have the fifth best record in the nfc they're one of five teams with a winning record because tampa bay is leading the nfc south with six and seven record and green bay is currently in the wild card spot in a one two three four five way tie at of six and seven teams not named the uh, Saints. So uh there's a good chance a couple of those teams will turn into uh 500 teams or winning records by the end of the season, but right now there's five teams with winning records in the NFC. So nice job making the argument that the playoffs should be regardless of conference and division. There you go. 
a lot of seven um, and six teams that would, would win teams that would be out right now on a better conference. Right, because at this point we've got such a ridiculous competitive imbalance. Just look at the quarterbacks. Yeah, but um, the yeah, the, we'll talk more about the Vikings later. But the Vikings are two games back of the Lions for the NFC North, and they play the Lions twice still. So they are still very much in control of their own destiny. And by the way, the Lions' other two games are the Broncos and at Dallas. So it is conceivable that the Lions lose out. That is a rough schedule. I mean, it's really going to come down to the two uh, Lions-Vikings games, the division title at this point. Right. Lions win those. It doesn't matter what happens with Denver or Dallas. So speaking of uh, playoff-bound uh, NFC teams, if the season were to end today, the Packers are currently 6-7, and seven, but are at the top of that logjam due to tiebreakers for wildcard three. Um, they went on the road to the Giants in a game <laughs> where they lost to Tommy DeVito in the Meadowlands. Um, and the media uh, feeding frenzy is on. On the last second field goal so do you want to start this off with the first thing (laughs) yeah it's it's been my moderate you know as a midwesterner it's the the tommy devito fanaticism coming out of new york has been mildly off-putting they're going for some psychotic reason they're going with the nickname tommy cutlets because he's italian See, that just and a local me... guy that's still literally living with his parents Cutlet and his brother. Makes... Cutlet makes me think of the league when uh, they run into Jay Cutler's baby and they call him little baby Cutlet. <laughs> I mean, I just think of lesser Jay Cutler, which is think, not a compliment. Personally, I think of the nickname is pure New York City, uh, you know, where it's not explicitly trying to be mean, but intentionally off-putting and incredibly diminutive well the so part... i don't get it okay he's italian great why does that matter well the sad part is i actually thought when he made his first couple uh appearances not necessarily starts but appearances i thought he was one of the worst quarterbacks i'd ever seen but he's a guy that has quietly been turning the page the giants have won three straight to go from two win two and eight to five and eight, beating Washington, meh, New England, meh, bye week, meh, and the Packers, which the Packers were quietly a very hot team. We talked about this last week. Yeah, that this was, was very surprising to me. And this was an impressive win by Tommy DeVito, in my opinion, where he was very poised, where the Giants had a lead. Jordan Love, for all of the hate that I've given him, Came through in the clutch despite having a very ugly and accurate game where balls were just missing quarterback players by 10 yards on both sides of the ball early on. Um, but then Jay Cutler settled down, or sorry, Jay Cutler. Now we're talking about Cutler. Uh, Jordan Love settled down and he ended up driving the ball down and getting the uh, Packers a one point lead with about. One minute, one minute and thirty seconds left in the half by throwing a touchdown pass to Mike Heath and converting the two two point conversion on a run. Or sorry, he failed to convert the two point conversion. Sorry, which is why they were only up by one points after that. But the bottom line is, 
they they scored 10 straight points in the fourth quarter with f- between five minutes to go and one minute to go to take the late lead. That was very clutch of Jordan Love. And then here comes Joe Barry and his defense. And you know what they did? The old mat- f- mantra, pe- prevent defense only prevents winning. Because yep. he was backing his guys way off on a first-time starter with very inexperienced, giving him up chunk plays like he had 10 seconds to go and had to score a touchdown, except he had 90 seconds to get a field goal. This is embarrassing. I don't I, I don't think Joe Barry understood the position. Like you can't just give him you can't just let him bend and not break into this into the red zone. Yeah, there's a there's a fundamental difference strategically, or there should be, what based on on how you play defense, based on the kind of quarterback you're you're going after. the The general rule of thumb is you play coverage against good veteran quarterbacks, especially pocket passers. Yep, and you blitz the snot out of young, inexperienced passers. Mm-hmm. What What did Green Bay do? The exact opposite. And it was also soft coverage, giving up plays where, like, it's understandable if there was 30 seconds left in the game, not 90. Or 15 or whatever. Yeah. Where you don't care if you give up 40 yards because it's 60 to field goal range or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they literally let the Giants march down into the red zone, bleed the clock, and kick the game winning field goal as the clock expired. I mean, it was yeah, you absolutely win. should not be playing that kind of defense in a situation where a field goal beats you. And this is a very light. This is a light version of the Chargers where they have a lot of talent on the defense. And this offense has been getting a lot of the press with the first year starter, a lot of young weapons that have been you know inconsistent, but showing good flashes. The defense should be better. Like the Packers are currently a playoff team as it stands, but they should be better right now, to be honest, if the defense was carrying them better. And this is a game they should have won. They they should be the team challenging Detroit for the NFC champion uh, North, not the Vikings. Yeah, but, the truth of the matter is neither of these quarterbacks was particularly efficient. Uh, Jordan no. Love threw a ton, 25 for 39, but he only had 218 yards. So he is well under 10 yards per completion. Yeah. Well, Tommy DeVito, yeah, he's 5.6 yards per attempt. And then Tommy DeVito, he completed 80% of his passes, but they were basically checkdowns. Which right. made it even worse that they played prevent defense and bailed out and gave, he, they gave, they were giving up more yards per pass in the final drive than they did the entire game. Based on because the way the they bailed out of because they bailed out of the one thing that the New York Giants wanted to do, exactly. And I, this is the first week I've really heard the fire Joe Barry really ramp up beyond this podcast. I know we've been critical, especially you, early on, and this was honestly no disrespect to the Giants. The way they lost the game in the last minute and a half is a fireball offense, in my opinion. Um, so. Yeah, that's going to make our Green Bay fans really happy, I'm sure. But you know, I I'm always the kind of person that if I if I see a problem, I'm going to say it because it's important to know the truth. We want to speak the truth here. It was a rough game, and that was on him. And he's had a lot of bad 
poorly coached games this year in the last Barry, game. you mean? Yeah, Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator for the Panthers. Yeah. Like, let's be clear. When we were talking about a team that was a defense that was categorically constructed to play from ahead, pin their ears back, and attack with a lead, that's a team construction problem when you don't have a Hall of Fame level quarterback. True. But, but it hasn't lead been with 90 that. seconds to go. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. agree with that. But it has, you know, it hasn't even been that on this on this team. They've been wildly inconsistent. Agreed. Uh, Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com is our email. If you think that Barry still should have a job, then or J- Jared Goff or any of the other people that we've trashed along the way of this wonderful podcast. Or maybe you are ready to jump in and you want to you know, catapult somebody into orbit. Please tell us who and we can help explain why everybody should hate him as much as you do. In any case, we're it is time for our last segment, week 15 picks. And one more thing, we're going to pick all of our games straight up. We don't do the spread here on this podcast. It's tough to do you know, just to pick straight up in the NFL. Uh, but one more thing is the segment where we look at each uh, Midwest team and just try to figure out just one more thing that will help us understand that team better. We have Saturday games this week for some reason. And do we ever have Saturday no games this week? All three of the slots are just filled with Midwest teams of the six teams playing on Saturday. Five of them are Midwest. All Let's with start- records. Yep, let's start with the Vikings at the Bengals at 1 p.m., which is a unique double, you know, Midwest versus Midwest because it's not even the same conference. So Vikings-Bengals, what's your one more thing? Well, my one more thing for the Vikings first, because we'll do two more things when we double up, right? Pod dog Ray's staring at me saying, let's wrap this up real quick. So, (laughs) But uh, I think... I want to see how – you know what? I'm going to go selfish. I want to see how Ty Chandler does. He's been my boy since he was drafted late in the fifth round out of North Carolina. And with Madison potentially out, Cam Akers out, I want to see what he can do with the full workload. Yep. I want to see Justin Jefferson actually get acclimated back into this offense and see what that does to guys like Jordan Addison and uh, TJ Hawkinson who have – who has demolished all of the franchise records for receiving catches for a tight end in a season. So not only is Nick Mullins going to come in, but he's going to get the nicest set of tools that they've had since the very early part of the year. I want to say this Vi- the Vikings Raiders game going back was so ugly. I completely forgot the biggest story. Jefferson made his first start since week five coming off the hamstring injury. Got, lit up on his second catch like Dobbs hung him up for dry which is probably why Dobbs got benched and he got body slammed into the turf and left the game he was taken to the hospital for x-rays um, and was out for the rest of the game after two catches so he is potentially playing again this week but that he was said brutal. he's playing yeah he claims he's studying that doesn't mean he is um, 
And I think I just blocked that on my mind as a guy with him on my keeper league getting ready for the playoffs that it just was traumatizing. But what just because just because Dobbs basically lined him up to have the entire Raiders secondary hit him in the ribs with a baseball bat. Yeah, it was brutal. Two catches in three targets, and he was probably the best. He they might have scored a touchdown or maybe six points if he was in the whole game. But um, hopefully he's yeah, back. Imagine that. Well, let's not get crazy. Yeah, right. But uh, <laughs> hopefully he's back. Um, moving on to the Pengals side, my one more thing is to see if the defense, who has been underratedly bad this year, really throttled the Colts last week. I want to see what they do against Nick Mullins in the third string quarterback and a third string tailback. To me, this is, I want to see that offensive line repeat what they did against the Indianapolis Colts. So I want to see the, you know, the big hog mollies up front. If the Bengals end up with a lot of clean uniforms for their offensive skill players, it might be a long night for the Vikings. Who'd you pick? I'm going to go Bengals here. I learned my lesson last week after betting against the Bengals. I will also go with the Bengals. Right. Don't be surprised if this is the Vikings, though. This is not an easy pick. So, uh, mm-hmm. On to the 415 game, another cross-divisional Midwest versus Midwest. We've got the Steelers at the Colts. Let's start with the Steelers here. What's your one more thing? Oh. Can Mike Tomlin not get fired? No, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> oh. let's, look, let's look at just how many degrees Celsius is that seat. I, I want to see um, <laughs> how, the health of the defensive line. I know TJ Watt had uh, was in and out of the lineup last week. Allegedly, this is one of those controversies where he might have been concussed and then still played uh, by putting on a uh, visor. So I want to see... T- the health of TJ Watt and the effectiveness of the defensive line against the underrated Colts offensive line. Yeah, I'm going the other other side of the ball actually, but again, the hog mollies again. The I want to see you know the Colts got shut out from the pass rush perspective last week. The Steelers are probably going to have to throw to beat the Colts at least at some point. So I want to see how much of the blame for this is still the offensive line? That's what I'm going to kind of use here for the Steelers. If there's given up five, six sacks to the Colts, uh, there's more going on here than just Trubisky. Good point. Um, on the Colts side of the ball, I want to see if Zach Moss or Jonathan Taylor, whoever's running can actually get it going. The Colts run game is fallen apart the last couple of weeks after being very good most of the year. And I want to see if they can rebound against a very good Steelers front four and front seven. Yeah, this is to me, this is a Minshew game. I want to see Minshew distribute the ball to more than just Pittman because I think they're going to need more than just Pittman. If they're going to beat the Steelers, they're going to need some balance on their offense. They can't just count on one guy looking at rookie Josh Downs to step up. Will you please stand up? Please stand up. Yes. He, a little Eminem yeah. reference. <laughs> um, I guess I'm going to go, I'm going to pick the Steelers to win on the road and get off the snide after these embarrassing two game losing streak. I, I really feel like they're going to, like they're probably going to win, but something in my, in my gut says Colts and I'm going to go with that Colts pick. 
Um, I just, I feel like the Steelers are a better team talent wise, but the Colts are just playing better right now. There's also something off with the locker room. I mean, the Steelers have a player going yeah. off on social media every week. Yeah, this week it was Minka Fitzpatrick. We didn't miss that in the top part. Oh, well, there you go. I'm glad we got to it at least at some point. <laughs> so we've touched yeah, I'm with, yeah, I'm sure the Steelers fans are delighted that we're mentioning it, but yeah. yeah. And well, by so- that, I mean, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. Yep. On to the nightcap. So the first two games were both between two seven and six teams. This is the game of the night. Uh seven and six Denver Broncos traveling to the nine and four Detroit Lions. Uh both teams in heading in opposite directions at this point, where the Broncos seem to be uh winning a lot of games since they gave up seventy points to the Dolphins and the Lions. We talked about them earlier. Uh what's your one more thing on the Lions? Well, the looks like the Lions are finally gonna address their issues on the the cornerback uh, by at least rotating through some of the other corners mm. instead of counting on the one guy that we know is you know burnt toast mm-hmm. so the lions it's basically going to come down to how, how can they protect golf because we know that golf has a stupid gene that clicks on anytime he feels any pressure whatsoever so if Goff does not have a perfectly clean uniform at the end of this game, the Lions are losing. And that's what I'm looking for. My one more thing is I want to see if I'm on Ross St. Brown, who had his worst game of the season. His only time he didn't show up in fantasy last was last week against the Bears. Uh, the Broncos, after the 70-point game, have been really one of the best pass defenses in the league, which kind of dovetails with your uh, golf thing. But I want to see if uh, St. Brown can get off the snide against uh, the Patrick Sertan and the elite cornerbacks for Detroit, in a, uh, for, uh, for Denver, in a way he wasn't able to do against uh, Jalen Johnson last week for Chicago. Hale, uh, you know, as a, as a rider here, the Lions need to get back to running the football and the Broncos have been shown to be vulnerable against the ground against the ground game. If that happens, the Lions do have a chance. Mm-hmm. But I'm picking the Broncos. I'm gonna pick the Lions to stop the Schneid and get another win at home on Sunday night. Um, I think Dan. And Cannon's I hope you're right. Here. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, on to the Sunday game. Uh, we don't have any night games on Sunday after dominating the Saturday slate. Uh, we'll start with uh, the Chicago Bears heading down over to, Ch- to Cleveland to take on the Brownies. Last time uh, this happened, Justin Fields made his debut where he got sacked nine times and got Matt Nagy fired. And I was at that game with a friend of the podcast, Luke, and my, that was a rough game to be a Bears fan at. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. What's, so my one more thing while you cough up a lung, uh, don't die on me, uh, is I want to see a field revenge game where he gets sacked less than nine times and wins the game. So I want to see if Fields can handle the pressure against uh, Miles Garrett and the boys better than he did the last time he was on the road in Cleveland. This is a, a fascinating game for me because you've got the Bears starting to skyrocket up You've got the Browns who have suffered just an unbelievable number of season-ending injuries and are still somehow chugging along with eight wins. Mm-hmm. I've, I've as on the Bears side, 
this is I, this is a, a game that you're not gonna win with Justin Fields handing the ball off and escaping. He's gonna have to make some nice throws here. And there isn't going to be a practice squad cornerback to pick on the way there was against the Lions. So I want to see Justin Fields pocket passing and let's see how he's progressed there against this unbelievable defense. What's your one more thing for the Browns? Uh, for the Browns, it's, you know, I, I'm fascinated with the Bears pass rush. that's all of a sudden there. But at Thanks the end of the day, it's, you know, I want to see. You know, Amari Cooper actually show out for the first time in a while. He's been he has not had any statistics whatsoever from any quarterback other than Deshaun Watson. So if he's going off, that's a good sign for the Bear for the Browns, excuse me. Tough matchup this week. Yeah, very. So my and, one mm-hmm. go ahead. So my one more thing with the Browns is I think the Bears. I kind of purposely pick, kicked this down to the one more thing when I when I was th- when I was thinking about the Browns dissection was we talked about this. Flacco did a lot of checkdowns two weeks ago. The the Jaguars dared him to beat him over the top, and he did. And I think I want to see what Flacco does against the Bears because I think the Bears are have, have coming in at Flacco in that sweet spot third game where they're going to know to keep their safeties around, but also still take away the underneath stuff and crowd the run. So if the and they Bears, have the talent to do it. Exactly. And I think the Browns are a less talented version of what the lions are on offense. They want to want to run similar style with two running backs, run the ball and move the ball to like Damar Cooper, uh, Amon Ra types. And I think uh, it's going to come down to whether Flacco can do what Jared Goff couldn't. And I couldn't believe I'm about to say this, but if this, ha- if, if I had to make this pick two weeks ago, I would have picked the Browns emphatically despite the Browns winning, but I'm actually picking the bears on another upset on the road against the eight win Browns, which kind of shocked me, tased me because I think I'm losing my mind, but I think the Browns at this point are a lesser version of what the lions are and the bears throttled the lions. Oh, the, on offense, the Bear, Browns have a much better yeah. defense. It, to me, I I would weigh the the Browns' defense much more heavily. That's true. And I didn't look at that. Said the ball enough. Yeah, I the offense. Yeah, the 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 Browns are going to want to ugly this game up. The Bears are going to want to turn this into a Justin Fields highlight reel. So on the so I'm I'm still going to pick the Browns, but this is another one. Don't be surprised if the Bears win this game. And. Because I would not be at all. Yeah. On to our last game, the Battle of the Bays, former NFC Central team, uh, Tampa Bay, heading up north to the frozen tundra in December to take on the Green Bay Packers. What's your one more thing for the Packers? You know, just as a quick aside, it kind of reminds me that the Lions would play the Packers twice every year, once in Green Bay, and somehow every single year, the the game at Green Bay would always be in December. I don't get it. I think Tampa's kind of feeling the same way right now because the frozen tundra is the last place that they want to be for a team that has a epic historical record of stinking every time it's anywhere close to freezing. So I'm, you know, I, I'm thinking the Packers here, 
this is going to be another game where it's going to be tough to run the ball, where they're probably not going to be able to very well. Mm. So the pressure will once again be all on Jordan Love. Let's see how he does. My one more thing is going to be how the pack Packers defense shuts down um, gambling man, uh, Baker Mayfield, who's kind of a YOLO baller now is, has great highlights, great low lights. And I think it's a kind of a mirror match between quarterbacks um, to be honest. And, you know, I like that you point out that the bucks have to travel up North to green Bay in December and the Bucks need to get more outdoor games at home against cold weather teams in September. You know, like earlier this year when I was at the game where the Bears were playing them in early September and it was 100 degrees and humid out where it was brutal. Um, so, and the and the uh, Bucks won that game with their home field advantage. So, it does work both ways, but um, I'm going to pick the Packers at home because the Bucks don't play well at um, on the road. And the Packers still have a mystique. They, they beat the Chargers at home in a similar Upset. It, despite the brain cramping that cost the Packers in New York, I still think they're the better team by a significant margin against the Bucks. I'm picking the Packers. But that is all the time we have for the Midwest Football Podcast. Don't be afraid to jump in the conversation. Email us at MidwestFootballPodcast.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us another week down. This is episode 35 already, which blows my mind. And some of you that have been with us since the very beginning, we cannot thank you enough. If this is your first time listening, we hope you enjoyed it, and we'll come back again for our next episode. Thanks also to Raymond, our uh, wonderful composer, who did our intro and outro music off of his album Call to Me, which is available wherever digital music is sold. Thank you also to Chris Brandley, who did all of our logos for the uh, social media pages that we have. But that's all the time we have for the Midwest Football Podcast this week. So as we take it into the locker room for the fifth quarter, we will see you later. I miss you already.